All right, lots shocking conclusion. And let's read beginning with verse 30 of chapter 19. Lot and his two daughters left Zohar, kind of a mini uh, Sodom, little Sodom. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave, and one day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. So you see why I didn't really want to read this again. That night they got their father to drink wine and the older daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day the older daughter said to the younger, last night I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight and you go in and sleep with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went in and slept with him. And again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The oldest daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. And the younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami, which is the father of the Ammonites of today. It is possible to be distressed by the world while hanging on to it for dear life. And I think that's what we find with Lot. He was distressed, the scripture tells us. He was distressed by the behavior, behavior of the Sodomites. And it bothered him greatly, wore him down spiritually. And yet at the same time, we find Lot seemingly hanging on to the world for dear life. That was Lot. Uh, he was revolted by Sodom, but he had Sodom in his soul. And as we've observed before, I think the greatest effect was not as much on Lot as it was on his wife, his daughters, and the two men who would have been his son-in-laws uh, had they lived. So we follow the descent of Lot from living with Abraham to choosing the lush land for himself in what certainly was an obviously selfish move to moving near Sodom, to moving into Sodom, to becoming a leading citizen of Sodom. And that's the descent that we followed as we've followed Genesis in regard to Lot. He is seen as impotent before the sin of the men of Sodom. He offered his own daughters to appease the sin of the Sodomites, which I just, uh, I can't fathom that. He had to be dragged or led by the hand out of Sodom in apparent reluctance uh, to believe God, apparent reluctance on his part to believe God's really going to do this to Sodom. Then he begged to retreat to a mini Sodom named Zoar, only then not to believe God's promise to protect him. And so he fled Zoar and took his daughters with him to a cave in the mountains near the Dead Sea. If you've been around the Dead Sea, you have no problem looking up the mountains and seeing caves all over the place. Maybe one of those caves was the one where Lot lived for a period of time with his daughters. Um, this whole thing is just awful. There's no way around it. There's no way to to put fresh paint on it and make it look any better. It just is, is a horrible, horrible story. The toll taken on 
Lot and his family while living in Sodom was a, an enormous toll, particularly on Mrs. Lot and the girls. Now, in verse 36, we read of the daughter's descent, and it's beyond belief. What they plan is wrong, and they knew it. Uh, Lot's daughters had apparently absorbed the spirit of Sodom. And it does us well to give pause. Most of us in this room, uh, if we have children, have raised them. They're grown men and women now. There are a few exceptions in the room, but we're mostly a, a more mature crowd. <laughs> and our children are grown. They're adults for the most part. One thing I've observed in many, many years of ministry is that Children often take to excess what they see in their parents. I've seen it again and again and again. And I think we see it here in the daughters of Lot. So they concoct a plan to um, get their dad to drink wine in excess. And to get him drunk, in other words. And so they were successful in that. And uh, Lot had sexual relations with his oldest daughter and then the next night with his youngest daughter, uh, apparently not realizing what he's doing, according to, to the scripture. Now, maybe some of you in your former life may can remember being drunk. And maybe you would say, yes, it was so bad that I don't remember. I didn't know what I was doing, didn't remember what I was doing. And so uh, that's what happened with Lot. Apparently so drunk out of his mind that he didn't even know what he was doing and didn't even remember it the next morning and allowed it to happen again the very next night with his, with his younger daughter. It just blows our mind to think about such depra depravity and debauchery. The girls, if you notice carefully the words they're using, they're justifying what they're doing in their own words. They know it's wrong, but they're trying to justify it by saying, you know, we, we have a right to have children. We have a right for the family name to continue through us. And so they manage to justify it in their own minds and so the result is they are both pregnant by their father and one child is named Moab, the father of the Moabites, and the other Ben-Ami, the father of the Amorites. And as we continue through the Old Testament, we will observe those names again. The Moabites and the Amorites will be quite prominent in many places in Scripture, much to our chagrin. Now, Lot... Though the sin of Sodom vexed his soul, lived as close to the world as he could get. Have you known folks like that? Maybe at some point in your life you were there. I hope not, but maybe you were. And if you were, you're a great testimony now of God's redemptive grace and love. But there are some who say they know Christ, but seem to want to live just as close to the world as they can possibly live and, and Lot was that kind of man. He was, the Bible says, righteous. Remember what Peter said about him in Second Peter. 
Again, I'm glad for those verses because if my only picture of Lot was Genesis, it wouldn't be a pretty picture at all. But Peter says he was a righteous man, and I believe that, of course. But he lived as close to the world as he could, and he hung on as long as he could. And the end result was um, that now we look at Lot in, in a pretty disgraceful way for, for most of what we know about him. So we're getting the redemptive story of God's grace all throughout the book of Genesis. Grace does not begin with Matthew 1. Grace begins in Genesis. And so we follow God's grace all through the Old Testament and then, of course, culminating in Jesus. So now we come to chapter 20, and I've entitled this, Oh No, Not Again, because something Abram had done in Egypt, he now does again, when we would have thought, no, he'll never do that again, but he did. So I want to read verses 1 and 2. We'll just chop this up in bite-sized chunks. So look at verse 1 and 2. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev, desert region, lived between Kadesh and Shur, and for a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Now, <laughs> we kinda, I'm kind of biting my teeth, biting my fingernails here. I'm just thinking, how, how, did, how did this happen again? We already know Abraham did this once. Because he didn't have enough faith in God when he was in Egypt that God was going to keep all his promises and protect him. So Abraham decides, I'll help God out. God needs my help. So in order to make sure I live through this experience and my wife lives through this experience, we'll tell Pharaoh that she's my sister so that he won't kill me in order to have her. Um... But if I'm her brother, then he'll just take her and he won't kill me. And, you know, our heads are swirling and we're saying, what? What? And we know that in the end, Pharaoh has some pretty strong words of rebuke for Abraham once he discovered the truth of the matter. And understand now we know um, as we move through Genesis that what Abraham said to Pharaoh and now to Abimelech, it's not a 100% lie, it's a 50% lie, but that's still a lie. You know, it's like a white lie and a black lie. And, um, you know, I tried some of the white stuff on my mama. <laughs> and it would, did not appease her at all for me to say, well, it's just a white lie. <laughs> that, no, I, I, you know, that doesn't work. So Abraham is not telling the whole truth when he shares with Abimelech, this is my sister. But again, the same thing. I need to help God out. It's apparent lack of faith. And, and, you know, I guess the upside of this for you and me where we live in 2018 is we're very human. We're very human. And we do some things from time to time, say some things from time to time. We think, why did I say that? Why did I do that? I know better than that. I'm a believer. Why, do, why did I do that? But we're f f frail. We're men and women of flesh. We still sin, and God forgives us over and over again. The grace of God is wonderful. So we look at Abraham, and we say, how could he do that? 
And then I think, well, how could I do some of the stuff I do over and over again? Have you ever noticed? It just seems like the same things keep coming back at you. Over and over and over and over again. Satan knows our weaknesses, doesn't he? And so that's where he comes at us over and over again. And apparently, well, this is what happens with Abraham. Same, same thing. I'm going to help God out. Because if I don't, Abimelech may kill me in order to take my wife. And so, you know, God, I know God promised. I know what God promised. He, five times God has said, you're going to have a child and bless the whole world through the sea. But Abraham comes to this point of seeming crisis that I think he invents in his own mind. And he says, God's going to need my help again. So I'm going to tell Abimelech, this is my sister. Men, how, how could a guy do that? What's Abimelech going to do with Sarah? What do you think Abimelech is going to do with Sarah? Now, he didn't do it because God didn't let him. But you know what he intended to do? Same thing Pharaoh intended to do. Thank God he intervened. God intervened to stop it. So um, it is perplexing to us. But far be it from me to run Abraham in the ground any more than I already have. Because he was an incredible man of faith. And we see it demonstrated over and over again. Yet he was human and fleshly, just like we are. And, and, and forgiven by God's grace. I don't, I've said this so many times, you're probably tired of it, but the older I get, the more precious grace becomes. And the more amazing grace becomes. It's like I've said before, the song Amazing Grace is just one word. <laughs> it's just amazing grace. One word. You can't separate grace from the word amazing. It's, it's one word. Amazing grace. So we look at this passage and say this can't be happening again. On the heels of another reminder of God's intent of what he's going to do for Abraham and, and Sarah. Abraham becomes fearful. He is declaring that God won't be faithful. And, and he won't keep his promise. And he fears Abimelech, and he's going to kill me. And so there'll be no child if I don't help God out. And within a year, the child is to be born. And we're going to read today, he is born. So it seems that we are susceptible to the certain sins over and over again. And Abraham trusted himself instead of God, trying to help God out. And let me just give you a mathematical equation. Self-trust equals distrust of God. Self-trust equals distrust of God. Now, having done what he did, God intervenes again, verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is, she is a married woman. Now, Abimelech had not gone near her. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And did she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. By the way, if I've made Abraham look bad, Sarah's just as bad. 
because she doesn't say, oh, this is not true, this is not true. She said, yeah, that's my brother. She goes right along with it. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he's a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Message delivered. Abimelech gets it. I need to let Sarah go. God will not allow his promise to become void. He has made a promise and he intends to keep it. God made Abram an unconditional, unilateral covenant, a covenant with Abram. And in the dream of Abimelech, God says, I'm going to keep this promise and you let her go and let her go now or I'm going to kill you and your whole family. So God himself kept Abimelech from violating Sarah. God says it. You didn't touch her because of me. I wonder if Abimelech had wondered why is it that I hadn't been able to, you know, I don't know what he'd wondered. But God kept him from it and he also kept the women of Gerar from becoming pregnant. You say, where did that come from? Look at the last two verses of the chapter. Just go ahead and flip over there. Verse 17, then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So God offered, God himself kept Abimelech from violating Sarah and kept the women of Gerar from becoming pregnant. So we come then to the confrontation between Abimelech and Abraham. Not the last confrontation that they'll have, but the first one. Verse 8. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? The pagan is asking the believer, why did you do this? And Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Okay, Abraham's towering spirituality sank low in front of a pagan named Abimelech. And Abraham's reply here to Abimelech, quite frankly, is lame. It's just, it's lame. It's, there's no justification. It's a lame reply that shows lack of faith in God. And the folly of Abraham is met with amazing grace. God is so gracious in his dealings with Abraham. Abraham pulled Sarah down with him. They both needed an experience of God's grace and they received it. Now, here's just a reminder. I know, I know there's nobody in this room who would think of doing what Abraham just, what we read that he did. But remember this, guard your walk. 
and don't let your witness be ruined. How many believers have you known through the years who seem to be strong in their faith and all of a sudden, or it seemed all of a sudden, something happened and their entire witness and testimony was ruined? We've got to walk close to the Lord. Now, let's finish the chapter by seeing the grace that is so prevalent in verse 14 through the end of the chapter. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. That's grace. Abimelech has every right to be angry, and yet he brings gifts and gives them to Abraham. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. It's a lot of money. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So the picture we get from those last two verses is that there was, there was some period of time that passed here. This was not an overnight thing. There was a period, I don't know how much time, but apparently more than a few days passed between Abraham telling Abimelech, this is my sister, she being taken by Abimelech and God speaking to Abimelech and then what we just read, there was some passing of time and the effect that was taking place on Abimelech and his family and his household was when no women were getting pregnant. Had they begun to wonder about that? I'm going to think maybe so. So we don't have all the details that we might like to have, but apparently there was some passing of time in, in this text. Now, Abimelech shows grace. It's ironic. The pagan shows grace to the believer. Abimelech shows grace to Abraham, and then God blesses Abraham in spite of his sin. Whoa. Okay. Now the light has just come on. You know what? God has blessed me in spite of my sin. God has blessed you in spite of your sin. You are a recipient of the grace of God in so many ways, in spite of everything that you've said, everything you've done, everything you've thought, everything you should have done but didn't do. Think about all of that, and yet God has chosen to bless you with His grace. Isn't it amazing? Yes, amazing grace. It, it truly is. God's plans are often unexpected and delightful. And Abraham is the recipient of the grace and the goodness of God. Clearly on display in this chapter. Now, we've just enough time to get started on chapter 21. And um, chapters 21 and 22 are incredible. So you don't, if you're going to miss couple of weeks don't miss next week okay you don't want to miss chapter 21 and 22 the child of promise is born at last we have been waiting and waiting and waiting but not as long as Abraham and Sarah waited but verse 1 of chapter 21 the child is going to be born now the Lord was gracious there's that word the Lord was gracious to Sarah 
as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. We're now seeing him fully obedient Abraham. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. See the play on words? God has brought me laughter. What does the word Isaac mean? Laughter. God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Yeah. A 90-year-old woman's having a baby. A 100-year-old man is the father. God is good. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So we'll stop there for a moment. Friends, remember this. God is faithful to his word. When God says, I'm going to do something, he's going to do it. God is always faithful to his word. In verse 1, it says, as he had said and what he had promised. And then in verse 2, God had promised him. Three reminders in two verses that God had made a promise and God is now keeping the promise. Sarah's 90, Abraham's 100. God is true to his word. So listen to these verses from the New Testament. Matthew five eighteen. For truly I tell you, Jesus said, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, Paul writes, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. New Testament reminders of what is revealed to us in Genesis. God always keeps his word. Therefore, we can trust every syllable of God's word. Every bit of it. In verses 3 through 5, Abraham obeys God by first naming the child Isaac, laughter. Then he obeys God by circumcising the baby on the eighth day of his life. Verses 6 and 7 are almost like a song. Don't doubt or give up on the promises of God. Can you see it there? It almost sounds like a song. God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears. I don't know how it sounded. It's almost like Sarah singing for joy. And who would have done this except God himself? Now, we're going to come next week and find out what happens to Ishmael and his mother, Hagar. And um, there's a reason why they are sent away. And then we're going to find Abraham and Abimelech again making a treaty. There'll be another confrontation between the two of them. This one will be much different than the first one. And we'll see the godliness and the strength of Abraham and his trust of God. Okay.
Let's pray, and I hope I'll see you in the same general vicinity next Wednesday, okay? Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the reminders that you keep every promise that you make. Thank you for that. We have a faithful God who does not change like shifting shadows, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. A God who, when he says, I will save you through the blood of my son Jesus, you meant it, and you do it, and you have done it in our lives. When you say you'll never leave us nor forsake us, you meant it. You were so real to us. When you say that no one can snatch us out of your Father's hands, you meant it, and we are secure in Christ. Thank you for those promises and every promise of your word. And I pray that the remainder of this day will be found as your faithful servants in all things. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next time.